Modern architecture was once based on efficient, rational, fast industrial production to give as many people as possible a decent home. It made buildings cheap, so they were available to many people. That same ethos is still very present in contemporary architecture, but it makes buildings cheap, not to be sold cheap or be rented cheaply. It makes buildings cheap so that they can generate the highest possible return on investment. Hi, I'm Rita Rosner, based in Brussels. And I'm Daniel Jorfi, based in Budapest. We welcome you at the Space Activist Podcast, which is about how to tackle spatial inequalities. Yeah, and all that connects to the organizations to help tackling the problem. And the podcast is basically a collection of uh, very different ideas. So we tackle a lot of topic in this first episode, which is an introductional part. We just um, mentioned some topic and then... Uh, And uh, in later episodes, we go more into details. Yeah, and this is an experiment. We start with really controversial ideas. So if you disagree with us, which we really encourage, then you can contribute to the podcast with your ideas at anchor.fm slash space hyphen activist. Am I right? Yes, that's exactly the place where you can send us actually voice messages. We wish this podcast will turn into rather a discussion instead of uh, just the two ideas from us and we can even include your voice recording if you approve us at the end of this podcast or the next podcast yeah that's the reward (laughs) (laughs) yes Okay, I think we could uh, really delve into our topic today, which is actually why we really think this podcast is important for any listeners. It's not really about just designers who make intervention in space, so urban planners, architects, or even uh, industrial designers or so, but it's for every city dwellers actually who live in flats, which is probably all of our listeners. And the most important is to raise awareness about these topics. What we're starting with is something really architectural. With the idea of Rainier de Graaf, who is uh, the founding partner of OMA, the Office for Metropolitan Architecture, which is uh, one of the biggest offices now. And this guy published a book called Four Walls and the Roof, The Complex Nature of a Simple Profession. And what, what he's talking about is basically his experiences with their clients, who are mostly rich developers. And... Uh, <laughs> He's complaining about not having so much influence in their projects, actually. He says that the the most important part of building and of the planning process is basically much before the architect gets the job, connected to politics and to economic forces. And uh, if you don't really care about this or if you don't involve in the economical and political part of building, you can't really do your own architecture. We can really say that the duties of architects today is limited to solving technical problems. So how do we build? And we don't really deal with the motivation and the consequences. So the why, why do we build and what kind of houses we build and what will be the consequence of building a new luxury house. We don't really think about how it will raise the rents of the neighborhood. We just say, yeah, this is my job and so on. So um, you may end up like wage worker who just does their job and that's it. So you're not representative of anyone, you're just a 
worker who does things that their employers wants them to do or something like that. Exactly. We hear very often this situation when people say they had to design, I don't know how many flats which have really little windows and there's lack of natural light. The rooms are so small, you could hardly fit in a bed. And I guess we hardly ever really realize how much political this profession is. Every intervention is very much political and uh, deeply interwoven with money and economic forces. So it's impossible to stay a political while you're doing architecture. Of course, we can say that architects need a client with power and money in order to be able to build, because you cannot build without money, of course. And therefore, we have to be on their side. And and this basically makes us the representative of the class that is in power at a certain point in history. So during socialism, for instance, the aim of the modern movement was to give as many people as possible a decent home. This was the time when there was a great demand for flats, as the workers who have recently moved to the city to make a living in factories were living in terrible conditions. To do so, first they needed to radically reduce the price of designing and constructing homes, but that was only possible by mass production that basically reduced the future users of the homes to fixed and scientifically determinable factors. So the cities of today are undeniably shaped by economic forces such as the investment return, available cheap labor, and even by the consumer habits of the neighboring residents. Yeah, so basically cities are the imprints of our present-day society. So the way we distribute the infrastructure and uh, stuff is really... Uh, it really shows our commitment to democracy. Exactly. Just to clarify what we mean by urban infrastructure, we can say public schools, libraries, public parks, whether it's available to people or not, are there good public transport. But here we also think about infrastructure, like is there a cheap water supply, sewer system or electricity available for citizens? Or is it really segregated within a city? Spatial justice. Equal distribution of services and resources available to citizens. Without spatial justice, people living in the given city don't have the equal right to improve or even maintain their social status, creating social inequality, which corresponds to the widely known, rapidly growing gap between the poor and the rich. So we could say there's a technocratic view that um, cities today are should be governed and reshaped based on the findings of a diverse group of experts who we choose indirectly uh, or the citizens choose indirectly throughout elections. Yeah, but the election system is... Uh, so non-rich people have really little to say about how to shape the city in and elections and politics are very rarely about non-rich people and uh, even those people don't really vote for socialist candidates nowadays because they think that they can become rich at the time maybe and they can also profit from uh, politics that are designed for the rich so what about local politics i don't think that's big of a thing does it even matter i mean 
government hardly ever ask people on a local level whether they agree or not with a given new urban intervention. But I think it used to happen like that in in neighborhood forums. Or at least we think it happened sometimes. Yeah, I mean, really, it was about debates and and confronting ideas. But today, if if there is any space given for politics, it's really just like a pseudo space where everything is already decided. I'm I th- I'm thinking about here the very fancy word of participative planning processes, which is in many cases even compulsory in an intervention. But we all know that um, the way designers handle it is really, um, I don't know, a bit superficial. Yeah, but. Yeah, and I, I think most of the people that really believe in participation uh, do not really believe that it really uh, affects the design itself. They just believe that it maybe shapes the community or something so that the the inhabitants of that, that house or, or uh, the local residents just come together for a talk and maybe they are thinking about their future or about it it doesn't really affect the way it's really designed so i think it it can have like more effects and maybe participation or pseudo participation isn't bad or isn't like a really bad thing but yeah it, it's certainly not really about politics again mm-hmm, interesting we we will definitely have another podcast about participation and where we should really address this topic you just mentioned that um h- how it how important it is that people just relearn how to debate and how to together make decisions about the bin- built environment because yeah we live in cities we we are not really even meeting our neighbors we don't really speak to them at all so um in that sense, I think I really agree. Um, so if not participation, then what is the way to change the current situation? Do you know like examples or something? Uh, yeah, really good question. Cause uh, yes, like urban planners, policy makers, they all have to come up with alternatives. And maybe these alternatives are connected to ownership. I think that's the only way to tackle capitalism and capitalist uh, market forces. Of course, it sounds really naive, but I think we live in a really exciting time when things like, um, for instance, couch surfing exists. I mean, it's amazing. People just rent out for free, totally free their spare room and not really expecting anything in return. I think it's really a new way of thinking about owning something or sharing something that our generation, I think, will master, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, and also there are a couple of examples of uh, having not only private properties, but maybe common properties for people. So it's not like either someone owns something or the government or the municipality owns something but people can gather together and make communities and make themselves a house or uh, a bar or so there are many ways to tackle this problem and i think 
uh, our job is to not only think that uh, if we design a house for a property owner, it's, um, we can change the way it works, but maybe think above that and, and maybe create new forms of investment that can make maybe better results in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly like like the co-housing you just mentioned, but also community land trust, which is also a non-traditional form of property ownership, but where the owner of the land is not the same as the owner of the property. It's basically like you rent out your land for 99 years uh, with the intention to control the rent, uh, maybe to control what kind of building will be there. Uh, it also has uh, its own uh, board. Many board members are people who have a property there. Of course, with the aim to keep rents low, have as many parks as possible, green spaces and so on. Yeah, there's a lot of municipalities that want to solve this problem by just maybe applying rent control and like keeping the mm-hmm. the ownership system the same so that everyone rents from a private owner. They just have to superficially hold down the the rates and the, I think that doesn't really work but maybe someone can help us with this question we couldn't really agree on this I think yeah you refer to Berlin uh, yeah yeah so if we have listeners from Berlin maybe they could uh, <laughs> give okay. us a feedback so yeah, from Berlin or basically anywhere around the world if you've experienced high rent prices which is quite likely then Please contribute your ideas or examples to solve this problem. And and we're planning to make more podcasts. So if you have like ideas about these topics, which uh, Rita will mention soon, then please share it with us. Yes. And otherwise, yeah. Yes. So, so what, what are these? So, yeah, we will talk about later in the next episode, for instance, urban commons and commons in general, which we started to tackle with the sharing economy, the the connection, for instance, between gentrification and tourism, uh, also participation. We would like to go into really deep. Um, also, if you are interested in collaboration, like interviews or anything, you can also uh, send us a message. If you go on encore.fm slash space hyphen activist, there you can send us a message. So it would be great if you would uh, get in contact with us. And uh, thanks for listening, I guess. Thanks very much for listening. A final quote freely from a book, Urban Politics Now. Before really doing anything, one first has to map the conditions and fully understand the system in which one later wishes to make changes.